Welcome to the Zen Exotic Zoo podcast presented by Zen Habitats. I'm your host, Casey. I am a certified vet tech and animal care manager here at Zen Habitats. At Zen Habitats, we are focused on improving the standard of reptile care by providing high quality products and exceptional customer service. In this podcast, we'll be bringing you engaging interviews from leading experts within the animal industry, including breeders, veterinary staff, entrepreneurs, and so much more. If you're ready to learn about some fascinating reptiles and other critters, make sure you subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast platform. You are now listening to Casey Talks Critters, Episode 6, Ball Pythons, featuring Dave Kaufman of Dave Kaufman's Reptile Adventures. Hey, Zen friends, it's me, Casey, and I am back with another episode of Casey Talks Critters. Today, I have a very special guest, and I'm sure you're already subscribed to his channel, but if you're not, you need to be. It's Dave Kaufman, and he is from Dave Kaufman's Reptile Adventures. Oh my God, his channel is amazing, guys, and... I'm so excited to have him on the show. Um, about three-ish months ago, he went to um, Africa, West Africa, and he saw ball pythons in the wild. And we are going to focus on ball pythons here today. So super excited about that. Welcome, Dave. I'm so happy that you're here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I guess let's get started. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, what is your experience with animals? I've had decades worth of experience with reptiles uh, and in really all animals, but reptiles is my focus. And uh, it all started when I was nine years old and caught a garter snake in my backyard and became obsessed with reptiles. Oh, yes. Isn't that how we all started? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So can you explain a little bit about your current job um, working with animals? Yeah, I travel the world and I play with dangerous snakes. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so literally not 24 hours ago, I just got back from Bali, Thailand, and Taiwan. Yes. Very, very jet lagged right now. I'm maybe sleeping two hours a night and trying to get my schedule back. And on Minnesota time, it's not working very well. <laughs> Oh, so, yeah. Well, we appreciate you being here with us to talk Absolutely. about these amazing snakes. Absolutely. Um, so, why do you think the ball python is such a cool animal? Because it's personable. It doesn't get big. It's, uh, it, it's like the world's perfect pet python. And now they come in more color morphs and pattern morphs than we can that we can ever wish for. Yeah. And so in the ball python world, there literally is something for everyone. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, my experience with ball pythons, like, you know, uh, as a vet tech, you know, they come in for appointments, et cetera. Now, yeah. I, you know, I have a personal one. Um, I have one, you can see he's spread across the table right now. Um, and it's, um, yeah, they're really cool snakes. They're really fun. Like you said, they stay really very small. Yeah, I they're really great. So what was your first introduction to ball pythons? So back in the 90s, you would get, uh, there was no captive breeding going on. Mm. Uh, ball pythons were considered junk snakes. Really? Um, no, yep, nobody wanted them. They would come in from Africa covered in mites and ticks and internal Ew. parasites. Uh, the type of thing that if it happened today, would get you immediately canceled in the reptile world. Back then it was commonplace. Hmm. Um, and so I don't remember when, but uh, long before the ball python craze, I imported a pair of adults from an importer in Florida. 
happened to be a male and a female adult. And so I called everybody that I knew and I said, hey, do you know anything about breeding ball pythons? And everybody was like, why would you want to breed ball pythons? <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people don't know that when the importers would get pines, when they would get Mojaves, when they would get, you know, the wild, you know, color and pattern morphs, yeah. pine is a wild existing, you know, morph, mm -hmm. uh, they would put them in the freezer. No. Yep, because they didn't believe that anybody would buy a broken ball python. Oh, like pied ball pythons are so popular. That's that's Correct. very and, interesting. And, yeah. Yep, and in 97, um, Pete Call was the one who got one of them and said, I wonder if this is genetic. So we bred it to a normal, got hets, bred those, and got pines to realize that this was a genetic mutation. And as soon as he did that, then everybody wanted pines. Uh, and they were $25,000 a piece. This is 1990s money. And uh, all of a sudden, the exporters didn't put them in the freezer anymore. As you can see, Chip is very interested in our conversation. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've been into all pythons for a long, long, long yeah, time. Yeah, that's wild. I had never heard that. That's, that yeah. is so fascinating. Um, so I guess this kind of goes into why do you think there's so many in captivity? Because of the demand, the demand will never meet the, su the, the supply. See, this is how jet lagged I am. The supply will never meet the demand ever, mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. Everybody says, why are we still breeding ball pythons? There's so many of them out there. Da, 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 da. We are 150,000 ball pythons shy of demand every single year. There goes your snake. <laughs> Whoops, guys. Sorry about that. That's, that's, that's about it. You know, yeah. uh, the people that I find that kind of slam the ball python world are the ones that tried to get rich quick and didn't, and they're bitter. Mm. Um, I have never heard anybody who has had success with ball pythons slam the ball python world. No, no, that's no. fair. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you think there, are there any reported disasters when keeping ball pythons? Oh, of course. I mean, there's disasters in keeping cars. There's disasters in keeping house cats or plants. Yeah. You know, it comes with the territory. Uh, the main one is you've got to watch those thermostats. You've got to watch those heats. Um, if you, scrimp and buy cheap thermostats if you buy cheap heat tape um you know fires occur yeah yeah that's you know it would be devastating to lose a whole collection just because of a small piece of equipment absolutely exactly. yeah exactly. yeah something very preventable so right everyone check your thermostats or make sure you have a thermostat right and don't <laughs> buy cheap ones yes absolutely um so do you think that the ball python is a tricky pet to establish? And um, do you have any methods that work for you? They, they do. And, and, you know, ball pythons are notorious for being problem feeders mm -hmm. uh, in this side of the world. Um, when I was in Africa, I asked a lot of breeders if they were having problems and none of them did. Yeah. Um, so, you know, things like barometric pressure, Things like cold fronts, things like, you know, our weather here in North America, Canada, Europe, it's different than Africa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
although the ball python is on its way to technically be a domestic animal, um, they're, they're still not there yet. Yeah. And so, you know, things that we can't control, like barometric pressure has so much of an impact that we don't really consider. Uh, we don't even pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, babies can go off feed. And, mm-hmm. and when babies go off feed, it's more dangerous than when adults go off feed. They don't have the body mass, the body weight to pull through that fasting. I, I will not let my babies go off feed. Yeah. And um, in, in, in every single year that I breed ball pythons, I have at least a dozen of them that I need to teach how to eat. Mm-hmm. But do your research on who you're buying it from. Absolutely. If you're buying it from somebody that is like, oh, well, I hatched this out of the egg. I'm going to put it on my table at Tinley. You're buying a problem. Yeah. If you are researching um, breeders that, you know, the, the good rule of thumb is, Fed twice, shed once, then it's ready to go. Oh, awesome. Yep. That's so a- those are the questions to ask a breeder. How many times is it eaten? How many times mm-hmm. is it shed? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, know that you're getting a snake without having those feeding problems. I will mm-hmm. I will hold on to my baby snakes for months before mm-hmm. I even tell anybody that I have them mm-hmm. until they are eating rat pups on their own. And, yeah. you know... When you, when you breed a hundred ball pythons, that's a lot of babies to take care of. Absolutely. I'm not really a motivated seller. I really, I really am not. I get very attached to all my snakes. Yeah. Uh, Therefore, I want to know who's buying them. I want to know, are they going to be taken care of for the rest of their lives? Mm -hmm. I will refuse the sale if I don't think that that baby is going to a good home. I think that's, you're a very responsible breeder in that in that um, aspect, for sure, because yeah. that's not the case. You know, people are in it. They're here to make money. Don't care right. what happens to the animal. But we're here because we love animals, right? Like, we're trying exactly right. to, you know, show and educate as best we can on right. how to have a good relationship with animals. Exactly. Yeah. Animals first, money later. Yes. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. Do you think that ball pythons will be even bigger in the future? Yes. Yeah. Because we have, with all the morphs out there, we haven't even begun to hit the tip of the iceberg on what we can produce. Wow. Um, You know, when I was in Africa, I saw morphs coming out of the wild that I've never seen before. Recorded a few of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm not going to show photos of what I have. I'm not going to uh, do any updates on what I have until I prove them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm holding back a bunch, and there's some interesting ones. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I do prove them out, I'm not going to ask $25,000 each for them. I just, yeah. you know, I, I want... I want the hobby to be strengthened, and the way to strengthen that hobby is to make these really awesome snakes available to everyone so that everyone can work with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, because super big on, you know, we need to, if, if breeding is going to continue, we have to expand that gene pool as much as possible. For I, sure. 100%. Yeah, yeah 100%. no, absolutely. Oh, I'm getting sniffed. Hi there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so what kind of, hello buddy, <laughs> what kind of owner or keeper do you think um, the ball python would be appropriate for? 
they do make good first pets. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I cannot stress this enough. The do your research, figure out exactly what it's going to take. That animal is going to live for 30 years under your care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the animal, the snake should be the last thing that you buy. You should have your enclosures already set up. You should have your thermostats, your heat, everything set up and running before you buy your snake. I see so many people buy the snake and then go over to the next table to buy their cage. Yeah. And that's, it, it makes me cringe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. do your research. Absolutely. Snakes should not be an impulse buy, but unfortunately right. it tends to be that way. Um so if we can reach some people to, you know, try and change that school of thought, that's that's great. So that's correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So because this is a Zen Habitat show, does Zen make an appropriate enclosure for ball pythons? So I use Zen Habitats. I have my rhino iguana baby in one of them. I have my tortoise in another one, and I have my super dwarf retake in another one. Wow. And uh, now it's time to upgrade. Aries is getting big. Um, so he's outgrowing his enclosure. So I need to get another set of habitats to, uh, to uh, accommodate Aries, is my rhino iguana. Oh, very nice. Uh, and eventually, what we're going to do with Aries is he's going through the terrible twos. Rhino iguanas do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're working with him to you know, get through that as fast as we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually, Aries will be a house. A house lizard. Yeah. Oh, and, that's awesome. Uh, yep. But in, but before that, we're going to get another Zen Habitat's enclosure for him. But I really like the product. I use the product. Yeah. And um, I'm not sponsored by Zen Habitat, so. Well, we appreciate it. I. Do you have some fan questions that we can get into? And while we're on enclosures, this is kind of one of them. Um, so. Enclosure sizes. So for me, um, Chip was housed in a four by two by two. He's now housed in a four by two by four. But mm-hmm. I do see a lot of keepers keeping them in a 48 by 16 inch by two feet enclosure mm-hmm. or two foot enclosure rather. Um, would you, what is your opinions on the different sizes of, or for those three sizes? So we have our 16 inch, the two foot and the four foot option. So what we found in Africa is that for the majority of their time, they are in the ground, in burrows, crammed into tight little areas, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if given the chance, they will climb. Uh, there was a paper that I explained this in the ball python movie. Uh, there was a paper that was written that they are arboreal. And yes, the ball pythons that live in the forests are arboreal. They are taking advantage of the habitat that they live in. But those aren't the ball pythons that we have. We have the ones that are in the ground. Yeah. Um, and so if you, even even so, having said that, it's not a black and white issue. Everybody tries to make it into a black and white issue. They're either arboreal or they're not. And that's mm-hmm. so inaccurate. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you prefer to have your ball python in a tall cage with a lot of branches, decorate it the way that you see put, or see fit, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Go for it. Do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, if you have a bigger enclosure for your ball python, 
you have got to make sure that you have adequate hiding spaces for him because 99.9% of their time, they're going to be wedged in those hide boxes because that's where they feel the most secure. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. You're absolutely right. So like I said, for Chip, we made a four by two by four. And I think this is definitely an individual snake. Um, it's it's definitely based on individual snakes because Chip likes to climb. I, at least I think he likes to climb because I witness him climbing a lot. But he does hunker down in those spaces. We have provided him two separate Zen caves. Right. He, you know, the, there are there's lots of clutter, lots of plants. So he can find a spot where he feels nice and secure. And when he wants to climb, he can. Right. And that's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So I have another question from one of our fans. And this one I want to see your opinion on because um, sure. we don't typically give snakes treats. But I think we can talk a little bit about, um, so they wanted to know what kind of treats you would give a snake, but since we don't typically do that, maybe we can talk a little bit about um, diet variety. Yeah, giving giving snakes a treat, they're, they're not cats and dogs. No, they're not. They, 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 don't, uh, they don't need treats. No. They, they, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as diet is concerned, uh, Domestic rodents, domestic rats are the best way to go. Mm -hmm. uh, I talked about in the ball python movie that the African soft furs that we are feeding our snakes, I was surprised to learn when I was there that those don't exist in the wild. They're not eating those in the wild. Oh. Okay. Uh, okay. They're actually lab rats. The ones that we have are lab rats from South Africa. Mm -hmm. um, you, want your, you want your snakes on rats, not mice, rats. They can start out on mice when they're babies because they're easier for them to eat, but you want to get them on rats as soon as possible. There's a lot more protein, a lot more meat to a rat than there is on a mouse. Mm -hmm. Mice are basically little bundles of fat, yeah. and that's not something that you want your snake to be eating. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, I totally agree with that for sure. Um, so then one more question is, is UVB light necessary for a ball python's enclosure? So UVB is, um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, again, not a black and white issue. UVB is beneficial for every living creature on the planet. Mm -hmm. Plants, animals, everything. But an animal that spends 90% of its time wedged in a hole, only coming out in the mornings and the nights, if you want to have UVB on your... Uh, ball python, get the crepuscular lighting, the lighting that is, you know, strong enough just for evening and mornings. Don't put a UVB light in there that's made for day geckos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're going to stress your ball python out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's, that's a very good way to put it because, yeah. you know, I do believe in UVB for everything. Um, yeah. But there is a big difference in intensity. Like I'm a very fail, fair skinned person. I don't do well with all that bright light. Um, my last questions from our fans, you've already kind of answered, but is it, do they climb? And you kind of talked about how they will. certain ones. Yeah. Yep. They will. Yeah. And they will eat. They will eat birds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I tried to do with the ball python movie was explain that it's not a black and white issue. And that 
unfortunately flew over so many people's heads when I tried to explain that. Yeah. Because so many people want to see the world in this or that. The world doesn't work in this or that. It works in this and that. And yeah, that, that, when I explain that, I think I, I fear that that flew over a lot of people's heads. Yeah. No, um, I, yeah. Yeah. But they will climb. They will take advantage of, of, of branches. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But they will also wedge themselves into tight little holes and stay there. Absolutely. It's, it's all about individuals. So, like, it could be like my friend wants right. to go out and climb a building but I want to go lay in bed all day. <laughs> and you have to remember that every snake has a personality. Absolutely. 100%. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, they definitely, they're all individuals for sure. Because Chip does not act like the way Bellatrix at home, the Bellatrix at home will act. Right. And, you know, in we bed- all have a snake that's snappy and angry. Yeah. And we all have a snake that is the sweetest little kitten. Yeah. Every okay. snake has a personality, and I don't think that we take that into consideration enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, especially because, like, you know, they try to tell us that reptiles don't have personality, right? Like, that it's... Of course they do, yes. It's, you know, we're trying... Like, we try to put human emotions on so many things, right. but, but the snakes do. They, they do have, you know, real personality and real... Each one is different. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we went over some really great things about ball pythons. Now I want to ask you stuff about you. Is that okay? (laughs) (laughs) What advice would you give someone who's wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? And I guess that could be your YouTube channel or your breeding. Is there anything that you would give either people? Uh, yes. Um, start now and uh, work your ass off for a decade before you see any success. And the more you fail, the more you stumble, the more you aren't getting the traction that you want to get. Don't let it discourage you. Keep going. Yeah. Um, everybody sees somebody who has success and they think that that just spawned out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. They don't see the years of stress. They don't see the years of poverty. They don't see the years of laying in bed in the middle of the night going, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. They don't see any of that. They only see the success. Yeah. And no. so if somebody wants to do this on YouTube and do what I do, you know, I've been doing this for eight years now. And for the first five years of doing YouTube videos, no one was really watching. Yeah. And only after I started, you know, kind of refocusing my, my, uh, you know, my, my efforts to travel the world to show how people's pets are living in the wild and, the you know, in the wild series, mm-hmm. that's the key. That was what people were waiting for. Before that, I just kind of had documentary style videos that frankly were very boring to watch. I was afraid to be my own self. I was afraid to show who I was on camera because I'm a goofball and I didn't think people would take me seriously. And it turns out that the exact opposite was true. Yeah. I feel that I'm very new to this whole world. And, um, I, my first videos were horrible. I was so, I'm still uncomfortable in front of the camera, but every day gets a little bit better. And what I've realized is I, don't need to read off of a script. Like I need to be me and 
and I think it just all comes across so much better, right? <laughs> it, it does, and people will watch you because of you, mm -hmm. and then they'll listen to what you have to say afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Work hard. Yeah. And work hard for nothing for a long time. Yeah. And you'll you'll have success. What is a common myth about your profession or field that you want to debunk? Uh that it's easy. <laughs> yeah. Uh that I vacation for a living. No. I haven't taken a vacation in years. Yeah. Uh when I travel, it is literally go, 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 go. Mm. Uh in, in, in by the time, with all the prep that it takes to take one of my trips, I'm exhausted before I hit the airport. Yeah. Absolutely downright exhausted before I hit the airport. Yeah. Uh, and once I'm on the ground, um, you know, our days start at five, six in the morning. Yeah. And every single night we are, well, you know, we're, we're turning in at like, let's say 10 o'clock at night. But then I've still got three hours of work to do. Uh, to sort that footage, figure out what folder that footage goes into. If I, I oftentimes I'll record, you know, I'll, I'll film two different videos at once and have to then sit there and go through each one, each little, you know, uh, clip, figure out what file it goes in. Mm -hmm. uh, because when I get back here to the studio, I need all that organization. Um, and so that's it, you know, I, you get anywhere from four to five to six hours of sleep a night if you're lucky. Then you're running, you're driving for hours a day. Then you're hiking for miles a day. Ugh. It is exhausting. It sounds like but, the, yep, but there's nothing else in the world I'd rather do. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. You're yeah. sucker but for it's, punishment. <laughs> it, it's so funny because I get comments like, gee, I wish I could vacation for a living. And I was like, dude, if you only knew it's, what this actually took. Yeah, you're, you're not out there sitting on a beach like you were putting in some serious work. For sure. Right. Yeah. It's work. Yes, absolutely. Wow. And I mean, if you're still tired in St. Louis, I'll make sure to bring you some coffee. <laughs> I will be very jet lagged still in St. Louis. All right. I owe you some coffee then. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you think is your biggest challenge that you're facing in your role or in your projects that you're working on? And how are you tackling it? It's a challenge every day. And, and, and coming up with um, content ideas, um, is, is the biggest, is, it's, it's the biggest hurdle you need to jump because you have an audience that is now the, 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 the attention spans went from this to this, 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 to this. Um, and I don't like making short form content. Um, my videos average around 20 minutes and frankly, that hurts me to do that. Um, the sweet spot for YouTube is eight to 10 minutes. I, yeah. I, I can never tell a story in eight to 10 minutes. No. How can you convey um, all of the things? <laughs> right. But YouTube rewards you for having eight to 10 minute videos. Mm -hmm. If you have a 20 minute video, YouTube punishes you. YouTube punishes you for a lot of stuff that people don't realize that they punish you for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if one of your videos does bad uh, and, and falls below, you know, where you normally should be. They will literally punish you on your next two videos by not suggesting it. Yeah, yeah, I know. YouTube is hard. Yeah, YouTube I don't think the public hard. understands they, that. They don't. They don't. No. But, you know, the other side of the coin is, is that I can't go out there and just make straight up herping videos anymore. No. 
Um, I used to be able to do that. Used to get a lot of views on them. But now there has to be a theme to them. There has to be something that I bring the audience along. I bring my viewers along to do. Um, and so one of the things that we just did literally four days ago in Thailand on the other side of the world is we were herping in uh, one of the national parks in Thailand. We were finding tons of cool stuff. Well, I could put that together in a mishmash herping video, but it's not going to do as well as if I said, okay, let's do a theme to this herping video. So we were catching Dracos, we were catching flying snakes, parachute geckos, all that sort of stuff. So the video is going to be a herping video, but it's going to ask the question, do reptiles fly? And so it, it takes a lot of creativity and a lot of uh, ingenuity to, you know, keep your audience hooked. Mm -hmm. um, and it's constantly changing. Mm -hmm. As soon as you have it figured out, boom, it's changed on you. You've got to reinvent yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if you feel the same way, but when I make a piece of content, like it's my baby. And right? when it doesn't do as good as I think it's going to do, or if it's one thing that I'm like really pumped about and then it doesn't do well, it's, it, it's kind of sad. Like it kind of like, you know, hits you a little bit. <laughs> and it does. And, and every creator that I have ever met, their entire mood is based upon their views. Yeah. Um, and so Adam, I was just in Thailand with Adam Wickens, mm -hmm. um, and every video that we had scheduled to go up while we were there, you know, we'd sit there at breakfast, look at our numbers. Mm -hmm. Right now, everybody's channel that does reptile content on YouTube is in the toilet right now. <laughs> and it, and it, YouTube does the stupid thing where it's like, we're not going to show anybody reptile content. Now we're going to show how to fix motorbike content. Now we're going to show how to make ceramic plates. And, and, and I don't know why they do that. It's so counterproductive, but they yeah. seem to favor one focus and one niche over another. Yeah. And yeah. so every, yeah. So right now everybody's just watching their numbers just are really in the toilet and it won't remain that way. And so you just have to ride out the storm and, you know, just come up with, mm -hmm. you know, better content. Yeah. And when you're down, is the time to reinvent yourself? Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that is excellent advice. That, yeah. that is like life-changing advice that people should use in multiple aspects of their lives. <laughs> right. right. Um, so if you could go back and give your 18-year-old self one piece of advice, what would it be? I think about this so much yeah. because everything that I have done, um, I did wrong <laughs> and I had to scramble and learn as fast as I could and adapt. Um, when I got into publishing, I did everything wrong, but I still had success with that company and I still sold that company. Uh, when I got into independent film, I did everything wrong. And it's not that you did everything wrong, because to imply that you did everything wrong means that you knew what you were getting into before, which of course you don't. You're a novice. Yeah. There's no way that you can know what you're doing. And so you basically take the information that you have, you take you know, all that you've gathered, and you act on that. And oftentimes that's not the best road to success. So when I started my YouTube channel... I had no clue what I was doing. I had no clue that you needed to upload upload every week. <laughs> I was uploading once a month, if even that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I had no clue that, you know, what SEO was. I had no clue what uh, time uh, uh, constraints on your video would be to have the most success. Yeah. And for the first four years of my channel, I mean, you can just see my analytics was just flatlined. Mm. And then I started to figure it out, and then I went up here. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I could go back to 18-year-old, um, I would tell myself, sit tight. Sit tight. Don't worry about you know, what you're going to do for a career. Don't worry about this. Um, you know, if, if I could go back to 18 with the knowledge that I have now, yeah. I would tell myself that in the mid-90s, figure out a way to breed those ball pythons because I didn't. And I missed the beginning of the of the ball python craze because of it, because I moved out to Los Angeles during the Python mm-hmm. birth of the Python craze mm-hmm. to be an independent filmmaker, which I succeeded in. Mm-hmm. But I wish that I would have foregone that, got into ball pythons, said in 2005, uh, there's going to be this invention called YouTube. So just chill out, quit worrying, and, 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 and stay the course. Eventually, I found myself back to this road that I'm on now. Yeah. Um, but it was a very long, winding, pothill-filled road that I that I walked down to get here. Yeah. No, I I get that, and I think you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? <laughs> and yet, here I am. No. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right, I have one last question for you, Dave. Sure. What's the one question you wish I would have asked, and how would you have answered? Yeah, we're gonna have to come back to that because my brain just—that's all right. No worries. No, I think we got—we yeah. covered a lot of really you, great. You questions. asked some very, very good questions. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, I—I've enjoyed this thoroughly. I think we learned a lot about ball pythons. We learned a lot about you, Dave. I, which is. I'm, I'm in awe because like, obviously you're so big, um, on your channel and you're big in the reptile space. Like when I met you at Tinley for NARBC, you had blocks of people like trying to get photos with you. So like, you know, you're, you're doing something right, Dave. So, and and I gotta say, I, so many people contact me or, or make, you know, posts on Facebook or whatever saying I was too nervous to come up and see you. You were too busy. Da, 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 da. And that just breaks my heart. Aww. You know, please, if you see me at an expo, please come and say hi, because I won't know that you're there. I will be concentrating on filming. I'll be concentrating on, you know, my booth, on my table, whatever. I have five million things coming at me at once, but I will never, ever willingly say to a fan, I don't have time for you. Yeah. Because it's because of the fans. It's because people come up and want autographs and selfies. That is my, that, that's, that's what feeds me. That's what keeps me going. Yeah. It's without, without them, I'd be nothing. (sighs) And so I really love my fans. I love it when they come up and say hi. I love it when they come up and want selfies. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you see me filming and I say, just a second, let me finish the shot. You know, you're not, you're not bothering me. Somebody in, I I heard about this at the Vegas Expo. Mm -hmm. They came up to me and I was filming and I didn't know that they were there. And then somebody else came up to me a couple hours later and said, oh, this guy is running around the expo slamming you, saying you turn their, your back on them and what a you know piece of crap Dave is. And I was like, 
did he say hi? I mean, did he did, did he even you know tell me that he was there? No, he just you know came up and I was doing something else. I didn't even know he was there. So yes, please tap me on the shoulder. Please say hi. Mm-hmm. I uh, mean, I, I, yeah. yeah, like I wasn't. I wouldn't say that I was intimidated, but it was. You were so so nice to me in person. So I really appreciate that. So everyone else needs to go say hi to Dave. <laughs> But um, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. So um, thank you again for joining me. Absolutely. All right. And now I have to go uh, buy my tickets to Madagascar because we're leaving in six weeks. Oh my god! And I don't have my flight yet. Well, you better get on that, and maybe right. we can focus on another animal and a future Casey talks critters from Madagascar. There is going to be so. <laughs> I don't think people realize how many of our pets actually come from Madagascar. A lot of them. Yes. A whole lot. Yes. Yeah. There's going to be a ton of in the wild videos that I'm going to shoot in Madagascar. Yeah. We're going to be there for three weeks filming and yeah. Very cool. That's the other side of the coin is I can't bring back 20 videos because then I'm going to bore everybody. So I've got to, first I got to buy my plane tickets. Then I've got to figure out exactly what I'm going to film. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Amazing. It's, it's good work. Yeah. No. Keep doing what you're doing, Dave. For yeah. everyone who doesn't follow Dave's channel, make sure you go over to Dave Coffin's Reptile Adventures. His channel is just phenomenal, and you. you can learn so much. Um, thank you all for watching. Again, I'm Casey. I'm here with Zen Habitats. Um, if you like this video, make sure to subscribe to our channel. Hit that notification bell. We're going to be doing these once a month. Maybe we'll have Dave back on at some point. Um, but yeah, thanks for watching. Bye.